Today we're going to talk about marriage and adversity, or adversity and marriage. And we're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you would like a Bible, we our ushers have lots of extras that we could hand out. We'll tell you what page to turn to. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 3. If you, if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand. I'm glad to give you one. We've got lots. So feel free. All right, here we go. If we have uh, outlines in your program, and uh, you might find it helpful to follow along as we're in First Peter chapter three, we've been doing a series uh, from the book of First Peter, and uh, it's a whole lot about adversity. When life brings adversity, and today keep your marriage strong. I recently read about a woman facing adversity in her marriage, and this is how she handled it. Uh, This woman was arrested and appeared in court to face uh, the charge of murder for her third husband. The prosecutor asked the woman, the report says here that your first husband died of mushroom poisoning. Is that true? She said, yes, sir. That's what did it. And then the uh, prosecutor said, And the report says that your second husband died. How did that happen? And she said, uh, it was the mushroom poisoning. And um, by now, the prosecutor is beginning to see a pattern. And he says, your third husband died of a blow to the head. How did that happen? And she said, he wouldn't take the mushrooms. Um, What a great way to start a Father's Day message. Sue likes to put mushrooms on nearly everything at our house. She puts them on hamburgers and she puts them on steak and she puts them on all kinds of salad. But I'm grateful that so far, uh, I don't think she's attempted to use uh, poison mushrooms. You know, we've had our share of adversity. If you're married, we could have everybody who's married stand up here and, and explain to the rest of us about adversity. What is life like? What struggles, what trials What hardships have you faced? Uh, You know, job changes bring stress. Changes to your schedule bring stress. Loss of a job brings distress. Death of a family member brings pain and loss. Having children requires a great deal of sacrificial commitment on the part of the husband and the wife. I think more for the wife. Um. Health issues bring distress to marriage. A child's health issues brings great stress into a marriage. Problems at work add trials for marriages. Pursuing more education brings complications for marriage to an already complex relationship. I remember when I graduated from uh, Dallas Seminary, um, it was a great time. Uh, we, we were finishing our, our goal. We, we were in Dallas for five years, and there was only one goal, and that was to finish. And we were reaching that finishing point, but it was one of the hardest times in our lives. Um, I, I had just finished my uh, master's thesis. It was a difficult project to write. I uh, carried several classes, and I worked full-time as we, we headed into this. We put our house on the market uh, right at the end of our semester, and it sold the first day. We had a job already. We knew where we were going, and we were packing up to go. Sue had the baby uh, two days after I graduated from seminary. Life was really good, and then our son came down with spinal meningitis, 10 days old. And that just sent our life in a great tailspin. 
Um, he was in the hospital two weeks. I packed up the furniture and moved to Iowa. Um, we, he was near death. We, we actually gave him back to God and thought, this is it. And uh, by the grace of God, he survived. After two weeks in the hospital and one week kind of quarantined to the city before we could have a final release to leave, as I mentioned, I, had mo- I moved our family to Iowa. I came back for Sue. We stayed in Dallas. And then uh, we finally packed up. I took our new baby and my wife back to Iowa. Then I came back to Dallas and worked by myself for two more weeks. When I got home to Iowa, it was on Father's Day. I just happen to remember that right now. On Father's Day in uh, 1981, it was a terrible time in our life. We were exhausted. We were totally spent. We, we were emotionally depleted. We had no spiritual energy. We had no vision for the future. We had reached the goal we were trying for, and we were just exhausted. We had practically nothing to give to each other. And um, all I'm saying is, when you're married, whether you're not married, you're going to have adversity. And when you're married, there is plenty of adversity just day-to-day living. Um, so how do we keep marriages strong? There was no simple answer out of that. It took several weeks and time and sort of reality that it wasn't like we had quit having our quiet times. We had, it wasn't like we had quit reading our Bibles or that we had quit praying. Those weren't the issues. It just took a long time to regroup and sort of to heal from that experience. Um, so how do we keep our marriage strong? I'll share a few things along the way that, that we've done. But um, I want to focus on what God has to say about marriage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 7. First of all, if you have your outline, uh, wives, number one, treat your husbands with honor. That's in verses 1 through 6. Wives, treat your husbands with honor. And so we come to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And uh, the way you relate to your husband, wives, helps your husband see what God is like. The way you relate to your husband helps your husband see what God is like. Um, Look at verse 1. Scripture says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so this section, uh, verse 1 and 2, starts here to Christian wives. And it says, in the same way, and it's going back to... uh, Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. That's the context here. And if we go back to verse 12, Peter tells all of us live such good lives among the pagans, those who uh, don't know Jesus yet, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That uh, a wife's behavior, anyone's behavior, when they honor Jesus, uh, affects people around them. And then verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors, etc. We looked at that passage uh, just last week. And, and that there is an authority structure that God has designed in society. And uh, you and I um, have responsibilities to submit to uh, authority. And in the same way, there is, a, there is an authority structure in the home that God has designed. Uh, and um, it's just very simply that a wife is to be submissive in her attitude toward her 
husband. This is a choice to put your husband's uh, his will ahead of your will for the Lord's sake. Now, it's not because in any way that a woman is inferior. Uh, that's true from uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where the scripture says um, that we are one in Christ. And there's, there's no distinction in the body of Christ, whether um, it's um, Gentile or Jew. Those are two great different uh, re, uh, religious perspectives. There, there was no distinction whether it's... Um, Slave or free, there's no distinction whether male or female. In Christ, there, there is an equality. So this isn't about uh, one, one male is superior and somehow a female is inferior. That's not what it's about at all. Um, and Peter says, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be one without words. And Peter is uh, talking about, and this is very common in the first century, we would call it a spiritually mixed message. That is where one of the marriage partners is a believer and and the other is not. And this was common when, uh, you know, Christianity didn't exist when when these adults were growing up. they, They were exposed to Christianity after they were married. And it wasn't uncommon because females tend to be a little more spiritually sensitive than males it wasn't uncommon that the female came to faith first and uh, and peter is in and so in the church in the first century there were a lot of situations where the female was already a follower of christ and the husband wasn't a follower of christ yet and so peter is speaking to this audience and of course uh, you know our story sue and me um sue was a believer a, a long time before i was and we were Married for seven years before I began to understand uh, spiritual re- reality, and so this applied directly to us. Um, and so Peter writes, so that if any of them do not believe the word, if they if they haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ yet, he's talking about the gospel right here, that they may be won over, that they may be influenced by the words, by the behavior of their wives, and so. Uh, Peter's telling us here, your submissive Christ-like attitude, wives, is a powerful influence in your husband uh, for the sake of Jesus. And he's saying the way you're going to win your husband, the way you're going to help your husband understand uh, who Jesus is, is by your attitude, by the, by the, the way you handle your behavior. And uh, he said, he said uh, without words. He's saying, you don't need to preach. You don't need to. It's not about fault finding. It's, it's not about uh, nagging. No matter how much you nag, you're never going to win your husband. Okay? It's about your attitude. It's going to have a very powerful influence. Verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, when they see God at work in your life, when they see your moral purity and your honest motives, that you're not trying to manipulate any special outcome. Um, the reverence you have for God, that your husband can be influenced through your behavior. Uh, in our early marriage, I worked in a factory for nine years, and um, I, I went, did all my college during those days, five years in college, nine years in the factory. I worked 3 to 11, 11 to 7, and it took seven years to get enough seniority to work on days 
and I didn't even like it when I got there. But um, most of my friends at work, you know, went to the bar after work. And it was just normal for that's how, how they did it. Well, I tried that a few times, but probably 98 to 99 percent of the time I came home right after work. And there was only one reason. And it was Sue is because like I get off work at 11 at night. You know, most people like to go to bed at 11 p.m. before then. I got off at 11. I didn't walk in the door till 1145. Sue had to be at work the next morning at 8 a.m. But she was there. She always prepared a meal. She always looked very good at 11:45 at night. I liked going home to Sue. I mean, I could that was hard to argue. Why would I want to go to the bar? Cuz my wife is going to be there. Now, the other guys just say, "Well, my wife never gets up." You know, I never see my wife. So, they didn't go home. And all I'm saying is that was a very powerful influence for me uh in those days. And Sue Sue was intentionally working hard uh to live a, a life that honored God. As she lived before me. Um, Scripture says wives be submissive to the husbands. You know, that's really a hard one in our culture today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 says the husband is the head of the wife. Um, God designated the, the husband to have authority in the home. Now, this isn't this isn't like a dictatorship at all. Uh, what this means is that God is holding the husband. God is putting the most weight on the husband for the family. He is the one most responsible. If there's a failure, God goes right to the husband. That's who he is holding responsible first. And um, he's a designated leader. He's not better than the wife. He, he, he didn't do anything to earn it. It's just God says, men, I'm going to hold you responsible uh, for your families, for your wife, for their well-being, for their physical well-being as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, for their provision, for uh, their spiritual well-being also. And then in verses 3 through 6, uh, Peter instructs us, focus on developing your inner beauty, wives. Focusing on developing your inner beauty. Look at verse 3. Peter writes, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Now, what Peter is not saying here, he's not saying you shouldn't be concerned about how you appear. He's not saying don't wear nice clothes. He's not saying don't take care of your hair. He's not saying don't wear jewelry. You know, he's not saying that Um, in the first century, just like today. Women wanted to look beautiful, and he's probably focusing in here on a, on a um, more financially well-off group of ladies here. And there were some of those in the first century church. If they could wear braided hair in the first century, and if they could wear gold jewelry, and if they could wear fine clothes, they probably were in a higher social class in the first century. And just, you know, today we have the same focus is that, you know, mostly our culture says it's all about beauty, girls. It's all about how you look. Do you have the look? And do you focus on that and make yourself beautiful? Well, God isn't saying you shouldn't look nice for your husband. But there is something more important than that and that is more lasting than that and has more value to to that and more valuable to God. Um, 
Verse 4, instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Uh, by the way, there's, I, I just thought of some passages. What about the, the whole physical beauty thing? Well, go back and read the Song of Solomon. Solomon's wife focused very much on her beauty. Every part, okay? For marriage, that's a good thing. Um, and, and all I'm saying is it's not like the Bible is against women. I'm not saying that at all, that uh, women t- taking care of themselves and, and, and regarding their physical appearance and how they dress. That's all good. But instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And here's what matters to God, ladies. It's your inner beauty. It's the inner self. It's about your heart. It's about who you're becoming. God wants uh, you to adorn your heart, to clothe yourself right out of uh, Colossians chapter two, to clothe yourself with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and a forgiving spirit. Uh, This is beautiful to God. Growing spiritually, developing Christ-like character is that that inner beauty that Peter refers to here. Uh, It's about uh, trusting God with your life. It's about trusting God with life's adversities. It's about walking with God day by day and allowing him to develop you into the person he wants you to be. That's an inner beauty. Um, Verse 5, Peter uses the example from the Old Testament and specifically focuses on Sarah, Abraham's wife, from Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. Verse 5, Peter writes, "For, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters. You have her legacy if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter describes these women as holy women. And remember, we've talked about this several times in the book of First Peter already. Holy, the idea of being set apart for God, set apart for the service of God. These aren't uh, women that should be put on a, on a shelf as a saint. These are, these are just women who um, honor God with their life, and they're seeking to follow God, and, and uh, Peter is calling them to follow Jesus Christ. And the whole idea of the, this, the holy women of the past were, were people who just put their lives into God's hands. That's really what it means to be holy. It means to... Give yourself to God. And um, that's what Sarah did. And, of course, if you know the story of Sarah, Sarah and it's, it, this, this uh, passage is cited in the place where she laughs when God says, uh, Sarah, you're going to become pregnant. You know, and she was an older woman by then, beyond childbearing. Abraham was definitely an old man and beyond uh, the ability to conceive. And she laughed. And at the same time, she called her husband master. And that's what's being cited here, that she just had an honor for her husband, even though it was kind of funny what God was saying was was coming to pass. And here's what Sarah had to do. Now, think about this. If, you know, Sarah, being an older woman, would become pregnant. Now, well, think about the, the changes she had to go through. And she had to submit her life to God. And put, you know, just allow God to work in her life. And she had to trust God through this. 
That's pretty much what it means to be holy, is to allow God to work in your life however he wants to do it. A simple point here, it's way easier to be submissive to your husband than it is and put, uh, excuse me, it's way easier to be submissive to your husband so that you're putting God first than it is to do your own thing. It's way easier to submit your your life into the hands of God and follow your husband's leadership than it is to go your own way. You go ahead. You can keep trying. It's okay. If, but Peter would just say, "Put your hands in the life. Uh, yield your hands into God's hands. Yield your life into God's hands, and follow His instructions." Okay, man, we're coming to you. Verse seven. Here we go. Husbands, treat your wives with honor. Husbands, treat your wives with honor. And in verse 7, we start, understand that God intentionally made your wife to be different from you. And that is a really, really good thing. I'm grateful to God that Sue is way different than me. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Um, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Be considerate as you live with your wives. In the same way, in the same way as God uh, expects wives to follow his instructions, in the same way God expects husbands to follow his instructions to be considerate as they live with their wives. These uh, instructions are not based on the wife's performance or on the husband's performance. It isn't about, well, I'm going to be considerate if she's considerate. That's not what he's talking about at all. Um, be considerate as you live with your wives. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Live with your wife according to knowledge. One of the things that this assumes, even in the Greek language here, is that this is about the sexual relationship. As you live with your wife, since you have intimate knowledge, you should have intimate knowledge about your wife. As you live with them, be considerate. Uh, and Peter knows that this is complicated. It's about knowing your mate. The, the, to, to be considerate of your wife is about knowing your mate, seeking to understand your mate, what makes her tick and what makes her ticked off. It's about knowing your mate emotionally. God made her different intentionally. Uh, one of my uh, favorite profs, Howard Hendricks, you've heard me quote before. He said, men, be students of your wives. Now, you have to keep in mind that he was talking to students who all they did was, was to study kind of night and day. That was one of the things that we learned to do was to study, to study the Bible, to be highly focused, to look for details, to look for big ideas, to, to get what's happening and Dr. Hendricks was just saying, okay, take the same energy you come to the scriptures and turn that on your wife and be a student of her and know what she's like and understand her, seek to understand. And it's about being a lifelong learner and a lifetime learner because I don't think you'll ever understand your mate totally. You'll just keep learning because she'll just keep changing. So be a lifelong learner. Um. And, you know, as every one of us who are married, we know 
the strengths and weaknesses of our mate. And it's really easy to take a weakness, an imperfection, and sort of use it against our mate to, to make light of it, to make fun of it, or to somehow use it to control the outcome of the situation that you want. And that's, uh, that in no way is what Peter is instructing here. Um, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's sacrificial love. It's about never using a weakness against your mate. Um, also in verse 7, give your wife respect because God made her uh, to be more emotionally sophisticated and physically delicate than you. God made her to be uh, more emotionally sophisticated and physically delicate. Um, and so we're commanded to treat our wives with respect. And men, if we do not treat our wives with respect, we are disobedient to God. It's, it's uh, just very clear. Treat them with respect. The word for weaker partner, uh, sadly, and in, in, in our context, often comes across as being inferior. And that's in no way what Peter is teaching here. Um, a weaker partner is that she is more delicate. God made her more, to be more delicate f- physically. For example, um, she has more delicate skin. She has softer skin. She has softer hair. Um, her bone density is less than you men. That means your bones are more dense and your skull is thicker. God made her that way. And uh, she's way more emotionally uh, in tune to life than you are typically. She has less muscle mass than you. For a drop of blood, she has less red blood cells than you do. And um, God made her differently, and he did it intentionally. And Peter is saying in the first century, treat them with respect because she's more delicate. And then here's this equality thing. As heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. She is totally equal as an heir with uh, the husband. She, she has, uh, in God's eyes, she's on equal footing. Uh, I think she's probably on superior footing in God's eyes, the way he made the whole thing up. But uh, joint heirs, graciously together in the gift of salvation, the gracious gift of eternal life. In Christ, they are totally equal. Also in verse 7, know that if you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. This is a powerful one, guys. If you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. Look at verse, the end of verse 7. Treat your wife with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is a profound concept, men. If you don't Treat your wife with respect. God will not answer your prayers. He has a way of taking care of his people. You want God to answer prayers about your career. You want God to answer prayers about your finances. You want God to answer prayers about health issues. You want God to answer prayers about your kids. Um... You want God to answer prayers about an unsafe family member. 
And scripture says, husbands, treat your wives with respect. If you don't, it's going to hinder your prayers. It's going to be an obstacle to your prayers. God is not going to answer. He says, treat your wives with respect. How do you treat people with respect? When you meet an important person, how do you talk to them? What's your attitude? It's usually humble. It's usually courteous. It's usually polite. It's usually please and thank you. It's usually a tone of kindness. Usually not sarcasm when you treat somebody that you meet with respect. Those are just simple things as it relates to uh, communicating and living with our wives in an understanding way. So if you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. That's how it works. Um, So husbands, you need to know that your wives need you to live with them in an understanding way. I learned this the hard way. I thought I was so immature when we got married and uh, I was about as selfish and self-centered and immature as they come. And uh, I was in competition with Sue in marriage. I was always trying to win. Um, I was always trying to win a conflict. I was always trying to win anything that related to something physical. I was always trying to win the argument. And uh, I did not understand. Um... So let's go to number three. Husbands and wives invest in your marriage relationship. Husbands and wives invest in your marriage relationship. Um, Listen to this. Um, This is a quote from um, therapist, author Alan Loy McGinnis. Here's what he writes. In physics... The law of entropy says that all systems left unattended will run down. Second law of thermodynamics. Unless new energy is pumped in, the organism will disintegrate. Entropy is at work in many other areas other than physics, McGinnis writes. He says, I see it, for instance, when I work with couples whose marriages are in trouble. A marriage will not continue to be good simply because two people love each other are compatible, and get off to a fine start. To the contrary, marriages left to their own devices tend to wear out, break down, and ultimately disintegrate. This is the law of entropy. So to keep our relationships working, we must constantly pump in new energy into them. There is a need to continually invest and give to your marriage. So husbands and wives, invest in your marriage relationship. First of all, allow a place for marriage enrichment in your family budget. Okay? I'm giving you my advice. Allow a place for marriage enrichment in your family budget. You get to choose what that is, by the way. This is how uh, about keep pumping new energy into your marriage. Um now, for some of you, I know this is really hard. Some of you, it's hard if you, for women, and some of you, it's hard for men. I think it's usually harder for the man because men tend to think marriage enrichment, spending money on my marriage is some kind of an extra fluffy thing. And what I'm saying is, no, it's essential because that's the most important human relationship in your life. So I'm, I'm asking you to, for some of you, to think and to uh, sort of flex your thinking here, uh, allow. Now, 
I, I know it's all about the budget and how much money we have. And all I'm saying is set aside something. The better you're sitting with resources, the easier it is to do. And if you, finances are really strapped, you really have to work hard at finding small things to do that are very, very inexpensive. Um, we learned this value. Uh, we learned the value of going to a marriage retreat. I went to my first marriage retreat kicking and screaming. I didn't really want to go. I had a lot of important things to do with my life. And I went to a marriage retreat and it was an awesome experience. It's about the value of going on a date, setting, a time, uh, setting aside time for your wife that's going to be focused. Um, sometimes it's about spending money and sometimes it's not about spending money. Sometimes it's like getting a Coke. We used to do that in seminary. And when we were really big spenders in seminary, we went to McDonald's. But it was simple. Um, we learned the value of an overnight getaway, and, and that's not easy. And, you know, it takes a few dollars, and we planned carefully, and we went to the cheap motels, and we went to the grocery store for food, and we planned out $30 or $45 really, really well. But we were choosing to make our relationship important. We had three kids at the time, and we were choosing to do that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying work hard at your relationship and finding little times to do things. Put your marriage ahead of your kids. Some of you are really going to struggle with this one. Biblically, your mate is ahead of your kids. And if your kids grow up knowing this, they're going to be way healthier than if you put them first. Um, they're going to they're going to learn so much by modeling. Mom and dad love each other. Mom and dad have this is a priority. That's how I want my marriage to be, you know, and they get that. And when mom and dad tell each other they love them, they get that. They want that. They're happy that mom and dad love each other. And if you don't tell each other you love each other, your kids will get that, too. And that's how they'll grow up. There's a good chance their marriage will be just like that. Uh, secondly, remember that love is a decision. Remember that love is a decision. Um, it's a choice. We have to decide every day to do loving actions. You decide every day to make sacrifices. You decide every day to serve. It's a decision. It's not, I don't feel like it today. Well, I understand that. There are a lot of days we don't feel like doing a lot of things. But... It's a choice. It's a decision. It's about commitment. You know what wedding vows are? They're the lifetime commitment. And marriage is the chance to live it out. Day by day by day by day. Um, you have to decide to say kind words. You have to decide to compliment your mate. Uh, you have to decide to say please. You have to decide to say thank you. Those are decisions. Those are choices. Love is a decision. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you. This is for all disciples. But listen to this. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It's a command. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is so powerful. Husbands and wives. This is Christianity 101 lived out in the home. Husbands and wives loving one another sacrificially putting Jesus first. You know what? You can't do this apart from Jesus. 
He's the one who gives you the strength, the endurance, and the ability to do this. You have to walk with Jesus to be able to love your mate like this. It is so powerful. Jesus said, um, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. People can tell that you're the real deal. People will want to know, how do you make your marriage work? How do you do it? I'd like to know. Help me out. People will ask you. Um, how does this Jesus thing work? How does this spiritual thing work? Jesus designed. Remember that love is a decision. Next, make a, a commitment that you will honor God and each other by resolving conflict. Make a commitment that you will honor God and each other by resolving conflict. And I'm just going to make sure I know where we are. Oh, we're going to make it. Um, you are um, commanded to treat each other with honor. That means treating each other with honor in the middle of a conflict. Let me just say, conflict is normal. Please, please know that. There isn't such a thing as... Occasionally you'll come across a few Christians who say that they don't have conflict in marriage. I don't always believe them, but that's possible. But I just want to say that generally speaking, expect that conflict is normal and it's okay. God made you different. You have different life experiences. Uh, you're male and female. And... Um, you, you have a whole different uh, approach to life the way, the way you're, you're made. And you're just going to come at a situation differently. And so conflict is normal. It's even pretty healthy. Um, let me make some uh, suggestions here. Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. See, it's possible to be angry with, without sinning. Sometimes Christians get the idea, if I'm ever angry, that's bad and I shouldn't be. God is the one who made your emotions, and he created anger, and there's a place for it. It's usually we get angry when we're offended. How can you be angry without trashing your partner? How can you talk about your anger without exploding, without saying something that offends or hurts? Uh, there's ways to... To say, sometimes I just have to say I'm feeling angry. And that's helping me reflect. And I am angry. My blood pressure is up. I don't have to dishonor Sue and be angry. I can make choices here about how I'm going to handle that anger. And then uh, Paul here says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Um, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Boy, it's easy to go to bed at night if you're married and be angry at your partner. Not good. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it's, it's not good. Um, it's going to affect your sex life. Um, it's going to affect your blood pressure. It's going to affect your internal, internal organs. It's going to affect your sleep, and you're going to be disobedient to God. So why not resolve? Why not seek how do you treat each other with honor? And sometimes it's agreeing to disagree, but you don't have to hurt the other person. You don't have to make the other person f feel devalued because of your viewpoint. Romans uh, 12, 17 through 19, do not repay anyone for evil. 
See, that's what happens in a conflict, isn't it? We want to win. We want to get back. We want to pay the other person back. We've been offended, and we are going to make sure they hurt. And Scripture says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, husbands and wives, live at peace with your partner. Verse um, 19, do not take revenge, my friends. Don't take revenge on your husband. Don't take revenge on your wife. This is for the whole church. But boy, this is Christianity 101, isn't it? In marriage. Uh, Make room for God's wrath. Let God deal with your husband. He might get his attention. Or let God deal with your wife. If you just give God time and her time, it just might work out. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Christianity 101 in marriage. Forgive means to let go. Let go of the grievance. Don't hold on to it. You know, we get this idea that somebody's offended me and I'm just going to, man, I'm not going to, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Probably they don't. But who are you or who are me not to forgive? Jesus forgave us. And we are to forgive. We're to let go. We're to let our mate off the hook in the same way that Jesus lets us us off the hook. He let me off the hook when he died for my sins. Not only that, he made a way for me every day. 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive me and purify me of all unrighteousness every day. If he does that for me, why wouldn't I want to do that for my mate every day? The last thing I want to say is don't let the D word be an option. Don't let the D word, and by that I just mean divorce. Um, You made marriage vows until death do you part. They weren't based on your feelings. They weren't based on your circumstances. They're not based on sickness. They're not based on health. They're not uh, based on your financial status. It was for richer or poorer, prosperity or adversity. Um, And I'm not saying there aren't valid reasons for divorce. I'm not trying to overlook that at all. Uh, Things like adultery. Um. Divorce was not an option on your wedding day, was it? I have never sat down with any couple getting married that they think that divorce is an option in their mind on that day. It's just something you want to continually think about and be reminded of. I'm glad that Sue never had the D word in her vocabulary when it came to us because she could have dumped me. Um for the way I lived, and yet she loved me, and she walked with God. And uh, I'm so grateful that Sue lived out 1 Peter 3.1 in my life, and it's made all the difference in the world. Personally, I think God has a marvelous design for marriage. When you think about it, uh, Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man uh, will leave his father and mother. And what, what happens in our world is, our, genera- our younger generations don't leave. They just go ahead and jump into the one flesh. Okay? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You see, that, that's about the marriage. The uni- that's the marriage ceremony, being united to his wife. And then the two will become one flesh. Two people 
who are different, male and female, sexually different, emotionally different, physically different. And then God brings brings them into an exclusive one flesh relationship for life. It's a marvelous relationship. And he's given instructions on how to live day to day to walk uh, with God in a way that honors him. Only God can enable you to keep your wedding vows. It's about trusting God day by day. He will give you strength to endure whatever comes. He will give you uh, wisdom on how to handle whatever comes your way. And he will bless you for obedience. He will. You believe that? I guarantee it. Let's stand and pray. Father, I just want to thank you for marriage, and I thank you um, that you've designed the relationship between husband and wife. And sometimes, God, it's hard. Being married is hard, and there are conflicts, and there are life circumstances that makes living really hard, and yet you have given the ability, you give us the resources to make it, not just to survive, but to be blessed. And God, we ask for your help. We ask that you'll build uh, marriages strong at the bridge and that uh, we we will seek to, to honor you and that people will see what you're like because how we are learning to walk with you. Thank you for husbands. I thank you for wives. Thank you for the gift of marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.